This is the Open to Alchemy podcast, and I'm your host, Lauren Ivey. I'm so excited to have you here joining these conscious conversations about the transformation that's possible for all of us. My approach to spirituality has always been part woo and part work. So in this podcast, we talk about all the incredible spiritual modalities and add in a bunch of practical things that really make it fit into our lives. I can't wait for you to join me. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Open to Alchemy podcast. I am here with my guest, Amanda Shipley, who is a pelvic floor physical therapist. We're going to talk all about that. And she also has some online classes, which are super cool, and her own podcast, doing all the things. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you today. Yes, me too. And I was on your podcast recently, which I always think is so fun to be able to do swaps and be able for us each to talk about things, but then come together in different ways. So I'm super excited for this conversation. One of the things that I find that is so impressive about you is just your advocacy for for women's health, for us to be in touch with our own bodies and take back um, our own responsibility for our well-being and our education and, and all of that. So I'd love just like starting with how that came to be a passion of yours. Yeah, I came from a line of educators. So a lot of people in my family were teachers. I thought I was gonna be a teacher. I went into college and thought, um, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a teacher. And I ended up really loving human anatomy and physiology. Long story short, found my way into physical therapy. And then it was my last rotation in PT school that I met a pelvic floor physical therapist. And really at the time, I didn't realize what I, I don't think I really grasped everything that she did and talked about and you know worked with, but she had this energy about her and she just was comfortable with uncomfortable things. And I think I just really looked up to her and that kind of stood out in my mind. And then you start practicing and then you start realizing there is this discrepancy and there is a lot to be learned about with the pelvic floor. And truly, I think I was getting older and I was getting to have these questions about my body and thinking ahead, like, okay, I want to have kids one day. I want to know about this a little more. So I took this course. It was really an external course. It was just orthopedic physical therapists. And we learned um, pelvic health really how to work with pregnant patients. And that whole weekend, I was with all these other pelvic PTs talking with them and, and just learning alongside them. And I just thought, okay, it's, it's time. I think I was out of school about five years by then. And I kind of was getting the itch. Like I, I was just not completely fulfilled with orthopedic PT. And so in that course, I just, uh, I just, I really loved it. And it just clicked and I never looked back. So then I got into pelvic health and slowly built up my practice. And really you just see this disparity between people with vulvas and people with penises and how much care we need and how much we don't get the care that we need, right? And and we are just minimized in healthcare and we are just told, oh, you know, you've had a couple of kids, that's normal. Oh, it's not that bad. Or you have pain with sex, just have a glass of wine. I mean, it's just minimized. It's just totally blown under the rug. And 
for years, I mean, I've seen people who have said for years, every doctor in their practice has literally given them the same advice and not help them get beyond their problems, but just trying to push it under the rug. And it's just so maddening. So it, it really quickly just became my advocacy, my passion. I mean, it always was there, but as I got into the field, it's just grown and grown and grown. And that's kind of stemmed into how I practice now and how I try to have multiple ways that people can learn from me. And, and it's just kind of spiraled from there. And do you think that that, that disconnect or that um, disparity between the genders stems from it primarily being a male-driven profession? Or do you also see female doctors, are they just sort of like inundated and they don't have the time and they go to like, well, this is the most likely solution. So they're not digging into the symptoms further. It's probably all of the things. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's not necessarily the profession. I think it's more of our society at large. So if you take treadmills, for example, and you get on the treadmill and you can punch in, okay, I'm this weight, I'm this, this is how many calories I'm burning. All that data is standardized for men. Literally up until recently, I don't know exactly the date. I mean, a lot of studies were just only done on men. We just haven't been taken into consideration. If you even think about the way that our day is structured, it is based on how men go through their daily cycle. So men have a daily cycle and we have a monthly cycle with our energy and things like that. And so in the morning, we have men have more um, focused attention and then they're more social in the afternoon. And it's all about hormone fluctuations. It's crazy. But really our day and how we have like happy hour at the end of the day and, it, and just where we work in the day is all geared toward their energy because it's cyclical on the day, whereas our energy is cyclical in the month. And we don't even know this because it's such a taboo in our society, such there's so much shame around the pelvic floor. And like I said, taboo that we don't talk about this part of our body. We don't teach it to our kids. We don't talk about menstruation, sex, just even proper terminology. There's so much power to, to come from being comfortable in your body. And some of that is naming your body, being able to get the help that you need when you have things going wrong. Oh, even knowing this is wrong, like, you know, um, like we talked about earlier, how if you don't even know that leaking after having children or when you're pregnant is, is not normal, then you don't even get the help you need, right? So just us not communicating and learning about our bodies and our pelvic floor, in this case specifically, we don't get the care that we need. And so it just kind of, it kind of snowballs. So I really think there's like the taboo and the shame in our society around the pelvic floor. And then it's just historically been a very male driven everything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I remember when we talked a few weeks ago and you had shared that idea of the male driven cycle of a day and how that is just our framework for living versus the female cycle and and being monthly and having that be it's like you don't even realize how how many things are just like guided by the patriarchy and it's funny, I feel like now this is like a common theme where I've had a few other people on recently that are talking about like womb work and just, you know, different things when it comes to 
female versus male, not anatomy, but just our energy and the way things work and all of these things. And it's so funny because I feel like women are sort of like just viewed in these compartmental stages, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you're this little girl and it's like, we want to both protect that population, but also somehow weirdly sexualize that Mm -hmm. from like cheerleading or like beauty pageants. And then it goes into puberty where again, all of a sudden it's like, girls are so uncomfortable. They hate everything about their body inside, outside, everything, not having potentially the support system for being able to communicate that. And then we're in this big period of time where we're (laughs) fertile (laughs) and we're like to be used for baby making. And then all the things that go along with that. And I guess that is probably a period of time where we get the most attention you, you know, when you're pregnant and you're going to the doctor every month, every two weeks, every week, you're very in tune with your body. And then you have the baby. And then it's like, what has happened? It's a free for all. Yep. And yep. then you have menopause and you're shipped off to some island of yep. living where like, you're no longer sexual. You're no longer relevant. You're no longer female in the way that we have been utilized for our female, you know, parts. And it's just so weird. Yes. Yes. And a lot of that, I think starts with our discomfort. So when we know better, we do better. And it's so our parents kind of just didn't talk to us about this. And then we grew up to, oh, now we have this discomfort. And so your kids don't know what to ask. So we need to answer the questions before they even know to ask them. And again, that is where getting comfortable with ourselves and starting to work on ourselves is so powerful because that's how we can change this, this generationally, right? So we can get comfortable with our body. For example, I have two daughters and we use the term vulva all the time. And we always say, okay, wash your vulva. We don't say wash your vagina. So we're using correct terminology because the vulva is what's on the outside. That's actually what you're washing in the, in the shower. Your vagina is just the passageway to the inside, you know, and and my daughter's six. So I'm even starting to talk to her about, yes, tampons go in there. What is a tampon? Okay. And you have, you know, just kind of all these talks. She is so far away from having her period, but she sees me change my pad and change things. And so she can watch and and see, and it's just normalizing things and not shaming our body. And when we don't have terms and words for things, and we don't have that um, comfort around something, then that make, that breeds fear. We don't understand something. And so then we get to the, I just had this conversation with a neighbor last night, how kids will, you know, girls, we have to think about it. They may start their period, their first period in school. And if they don't have a pad on them and then they don't know how to even put the pad on. And she and I were talking about the story of someone who started their, their period at school. The nurse didn't have a pad. She didn't have a pad. I mean, talk about how how awful that is, right? I mean, it's such a time of change anyway, and really you don't know when it's going to happen. So you just kind of have to help prepare your daughters for, okay, this is going to happen soon and we don't need to fear it. Yeah, it can kind of be a bother, but we, it's, you're going to get used to it. And, you know, we want to try to normalize things and just, again, answer the questions before they even know to ask them. Imagine if men had a monthly cycle, Mm -hmm. everybody would know about it. 
everybody would be talking about it. They would probably be like bragging about it or it would be like t-shirts yeah. or merchandise or something that would make it very well known. Obviously every office would have it. It'd be available on every 7-Eleven. Um, it would be really a totally different thing. And yeah, it's so interesting. Like even when you say like vulva, um, nobody ever says that. It's yeah. only the vagina, but that's not correct. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The vagina is just a passageway. So I tell my, my daughter, babies come out of that, you know, monthly blood comes out of that. The, the vulva is actually all the external, all the, you know, what you're actually cleaning on the outside between your right. legs, like where your bathing suit would, would sit is what I, is that what, you know, I teach. Yeah. And even yeah. with the, the period stuff, I think it's so incredible that just in the past few years, really, there has been this incredible advance in technology to have the thinks, to have the sort of Ruby Love or the other brands that are bathing suits and, and underwear that have the capability of, of helping girls and women of all ages with cycles that they're not expecting and don't or don't want to wear other things or be able to be the same activity. I mean, I remember growing up, like if you had your cycle, you couldn't go swimming, you right. or you didn't, you know, you couldn't participate in PE class, you would basically just feel uncomfortable and embarrassed for the week until that was over. And then you could like rejoin society. <laughs> yeah. Right. Again, now how shaming is that? And how right now. Right now, I mean, think of young kids, they don't want to be different then or apart from everyone else. And just, yeah, when you're singling someone out for something that's very personal like that, that's, that's, you know, that, that can do damage. And, and just even like this, this neighbor was telling me how she, um, her daughter had you know, gone through sex ed. I think it was not till like fifth grade, but like the boys are separated from the girls. And yeah, so why do they do that? Why don't we, why should the girls not learn about what happens to boys and the boys not learn about what happens to girls? I was just thinking right. about that when you were talking earlier, this whole separation. First of all, are we not past that with the whole gender fluidity and, right. you know, and, and kids not really being sure or not feeling comfortable in the gender which they were assigned at birth. Why are we separating anything by gender? Mm-hmm. Why would it not benefit everybody to know what's happening? I mean, even if you are in the traditional gender roles, at some point you're potentially going to have a partner who's going through that. Don't you want to like be helpful and supportive or knowledgeable? Exactly, exactly. Again, education and knowledge breeds compassion. It breeds understanding. It helps us know where each other is coming from. Even if we're never going to experience that, we can't truly put ourselves in that position. I think that's another way that we can start breaking down the shame and taboo and saying, you know, it's not just the the vulva owner's issue. You know, we can all not the Volvo, the vulva. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not the Volvo, right? (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, and, you know, and then people learn by modeling. So when we're comfortable with our body and the teachers are comfortable talking to everyone in the class and, you know, and everyone can ask questions and they can answer it comfortably with everyone. That's how we all learn to be comfortable. I remember the conversation when my you know, husband and I had our first daughter and I told him, okay, we're gonna be using proper terminology. We do not have code words for our elbow or our shoulder. 
the amount of code words and slang terms for the genitals is insane. I mean, it's really insane. Side note, we should be teaching our kids that so that way they understand when you say the package or you say the family jewels, you know, like, <laughs> right. Twig and, twig and berries. Like, what does that twig mean? <laughs> yes, I know. There's so many, like, oh right. so I remember we said we were both, I, I felt a little nervous about it as well saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to teach her vulva. We're going to, and you know, what's that, that old, old movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, kindergarten cop. Yeah. And the old girl says, girls have a vagina and boys have a penis or whatever. And you think they're just going to run around and say that my daughter never did ever. No. Did, ever. Yeah. She does it now more with swear words. If we say damn it or shit or, you know, the F word for whatever reason, that is just like the hot new thing to like, well, I'm going to say this. Right. Well, because you <laughs> so. make it taboo and then it becomes yeah. this like great, like, you know, Ooh, what can I yeah, get away I, with? Yeah. 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 But it's that, true. Like neither take, of us swear. So right. That's that's the thing that now we're, we're like, okay, we made it through unscathed. Like she literally has never thought to to say vulva, except one time she fell playing on some climbing bars and hit herself there. She said, Oh mommy, I just hurt my vulva. And I was so proud that she used the proper Aww. terminology. Right. And and that was she was just letting me know where she hit on her body. And it was that was just, and then I can get her the help that she needs. I know where to put the ice pack or I know, you know, what to tell the doctor if we had to go to the doctor or something, but, um, and obviously she was fine, but still the fact that she had no shame, she did not even question. She just used the, the word that we have been using for her body. And that allowed me to, to get her the help that she needed or to understand what she was trying to communicate, which again, become is so powerful. I mean, that's why like two-year-olds have so much they have all the, the outbursts and the tantrums in part is they're at a, a stage where they, they know what they want to say and it's not coming out and they can't communicate. And what do we do with kids? We kind of give them the words. We say, oh, I, I see you're really frustrated by this. You know, these are our choices right now. Which would you like this or this? You know, and so that's what we need to do is give these proper terminology. We need to, to give the words, model the comfort which takes work because we were not raised like this, mm -hmm. right? And and in modeling that, which I love in my practice indicator, I get to do, right? People come in and we I bring up the Bristol stool scale and I say, okay, here, what does your poop look like? And I've had some patients say, I, I don't look at my poop. I'm like, oh, well, you're going to, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, how do you know? I will never forget an yeah. Oprah episode where she had somebody on, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about that and like this S curve or like the way that it's supposed to look. And that just stuck with me. And it's like, yeah, that is one of our like evolutionary biological mm -hmm. tools to tell what is happening. If it looks like this, that's not good. If it looks like this, that's not good. If it looks like this, good. Why would you not be checking that? Right. Exactly. Because we have the shame and this taboo. And so even though every single human, every single living creature really that eats and processes nutrients has to give off waste products. Right. And so why we have this thing about farting and I, you know, pooping is just beyond me. It's like, a there's people that won't go to the bathroom outside of their home. They don't want to do anything because they feel embarrassed and ashamed. And it's like, that is so bad for your system. Obviously I have no medical knowledge, but I know when you have to go, like you tell a kid, when you have to go, you go. Right. I've always told my children, if you are having a stomach ache, 
you go up to the teacher and you tell them it's an emergency. Every human alive knows that an emergency in the bathroom is an emergency to go to the bathroom. If that's code, like you don't have to say any more than that. And if they say no, and you feel like it's an emergency, you walk yourself out the door and I will take care of whatever the repercussions of that situation are. Take care of your body. Number one. Yes. Way to be an advocate. That was exactly what I did with my daughter when she went to kindergarten. Uh, That was one of the questions. My poor husband was so embarrassed, (laughs) but I was, I asked the questions. I said, okay, do they have access to water whenever they want it? And she assured me, yes. And then number two, I said, do they have access to to the bathroom or do they have to wait until the general majority has to line up and go to the bathroom? And she said, oh no, no. There are times where we definitely all let them go to the bathroom. But if a child asks, we make sure they can go to the bathroom, right? And that was huge for me because that was not the case. I mean, I have friends in other areas outside of Atlanta that that is not the case. Even in the last couple of years that the child was so stressed that they couldn't go to the bathroom when they wanted to go to the bathroom. And even if it's just pee, that's that's trauma, you know? I mean, that's yeah. really anxiety inducing. So yeah, again, and, and acknowledging that we have these bodily needs and and not being shameful about it and just saying, okay, this is normal. I've read um, data that says that, you know, around two year old, two years old when we're potty training is a lot, uh, can be a time when eating disorders start. And it, again, it's very based on child, your individual child, but that is a time when kids can internalize like, oh, you know, that poop just came out of me, right? And, and especially if they're, they're caregivers are just like, oh, smelly, gross. Oh, how could you do, you know, they just kind of um, make a big deal about how gross poop is, which I'm sorry, it doesn't always smell good. That's the truth, right? Fine. But the child then can internalize that, oh, that's bad. That came out of me. Maybe I'm bad, right? And I haven't looked into this so, so much, but when I heard that statistic, I was like, oh my gosh, we celebrate poops in our house. The other day, my daughter was like, look at my poop, look at this color, you know, and we're just this morning, my younger daughter had carrots yesterday. And I was like, hey guys, you want to see some orange poop? And so we all looked around the the toilet and we're looking that her poop was orange. We're like, that's pretty cool. You can tell you just ate a carrot. Um, You know, just little things like that, just help it be okay. And, and and I say this shame word again, but shame is such a powerful, powerful thing that we just, you know, if we can eradicate that or lessen it at all, I think so much good will come from it, right? Absolutely. Well, you, you think about the number of humans that are walking around with something that is always hurting, right? Just something in their body that hurts. The foot's hurting, their back is hurting, their stomach is always hurting. And you learn to live, live with it. Like, why are we learning to live with pain? Why is that a sign of strength to be able to say, this is something that I deal with every day. And I'm not talking about the people that have chronic conditions who are, I mean, really are warriors and have to navigate this situation that is just, you know, repetitive or people with autoimmune or something like that. But it's like, why, I don't know why that is a badge of honor. It's like the busyness, it's like be, having back pain and being busy does not a great human you make. I don't understand yeah. that, I know. but that's what happens. Right. And I'm sure you see that too, all the time where it's like, this is something that people are just like learn to live with. And 
it really affects your quality of life. You know, when, you know, I, I hopefully will not have to deal with, with leaking. Um, but I know for some women, as they get older, that is something that they have to definitely take care of. That's probably a lot of what you see. And are there not things that we can do to take care of that before we just, okay, well, this might happen every time I leave the house. Yeah. Yes. And again, huge quality of life. So a couple of things that come up when you say that is one common does not mean normal. So ah, even say if, that again. That's so yeah. good. Okay. Common. Some, even though something may be common does not mean that it is normal. So it may be very common for some people to leak urine when they're pregnant or after they've had a baby or later in life after having multiple babies. But that does not mean that it's normal because we know many women go through entire pregnancies, entire postpartum journeys and do not leak at all. So it does not need to be anyone's reality, which is partly why I went into practice for myself because I really wanted to start getting to the prevention. We know that certain periods in a person's life, man or woman, but typically vulva owners we're talking about now, you have a greater chance of making an impact or a change or having these life changes affect your pelvic floor and therefore affect its functioning in huge quality of life issues, right? So um, uh, changing into menstruation, like starting your period, pregnancy, postpartum, and then perimenopause, um, menopause, and then truly abdominal surgeries as well. So we can do so much to prevent future pelvic floor dysfunction if we can intervene early. And so I really tell people, even if you are just curious, say you don't have any outward signs, just go see a pelvic physical therapist, take an online course to see if you can get some of this knowledge that truly we all should have gotten when we are younger and we just haven't. So educate yourself whether that's one-on-one -on -one with a therapist who can actually assess your body and your needs in the moment, which is super powerful, kind of like the gold standard. But even if you did like an online course of something, you can still learn so much information that is empowering to you that then you can start changing that, that narrative for your children and you can teach them and, and, and model comfort surrounding that area with them. So what do you say to the women who don't want to come in because they associate this kind of treatment with the very uncomfortable, embarrassing gynecological exam. Keep scooting down, put your feet in the stirrups. I'm going to put something very cold and, and very hard and uncomfortable inside and keep scooting down, keep scooting down, keep scooting down until you get to the end of the table yeah. experience that people really hate like as much as the dentist. And so they don't go and take care of themselves. So yeah. how does it, what you do differ from that experience? Cause yeah. I've never been, I know I'm like, I'm talking about it so I can shine a light on this for myself and others. Yes, that's a great question. And again, this is why I went into private practice for myself. So I can really control so much about that experience for whoever walks in our door to help ease their mind because we know that it's easier for your pelvic floor to relax when your mind is relaxed. When you mm. have less stress, when your nervous system is more in a calm state, then it's just not gonna be as painful because everything won't be as tight, right? So we very much, um, we just kind of curated that experience, right? So even to the point of, and a lot of it is subconscious for your nervous system. So we don't have 
white paint on the walls. We just have soothing colors on the walls. We have the sound machine going if more than one practitioner is here at a time. We've got diffusers with essential oils that are soothing for your nervous system. So just smelling is gonna help her to get you in a, a more calm state. Same thing with music. And that's really at my whim. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like, you know, let me like, guitar, like Spanish guitar and other times it's just like kind of indie new age kind of chill stuff. But um, typically my patients like the music choice that I, I, <laughs> I put on. Um, yeah, and then we don't wear white lab coats. Again, who feels comfortable if someone comes in with their white lab coat on? And, and then also just physically, for the experience, we start and we chat fully clothed around a desk. So we're not even on the table. We're just talking like two people here, um, recapping like what they put in on their intake. You're courting us a little bit. You're not just going straight in for that. <laughs> exactly. We're just not going for the gold. Yeah. You're kind of like <laughs> dating and getting yeah, dating. Together. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And then and then there's like there's dim lights. There's it's just not stark bright. Again, it's a lot of it is subconsciously to really help your nervous system to to relax. Um, and then really the exam is very different. So it's not in a gynecological chair. You're on a flat PT mm. treatment table, high low table. So it can angle. So if you're pregnant, you can't lay flat on your back. We can make some of those modifications, but um, your your knees are bent. One of them usually will go on a little a bolster, so it like supports that leg, and then the other leg will like rest on the you know the PT and um, there's no speculum. So it's really one glove finger is placed inside. And I tell people it's not therapeutic for us to cause you pain. So we have a scale and this lets us really um, put the patient in control. So if you think of a, a typical pain scale goes from zero, meaning no pain to 10 is the worst sensation of, you know, that you could experience. So if it's pain, it's like you're passing out from the pain or if it's pressure, that's the most intense. So what we say is, you know, you're going to tell me when you get to a three, mm -hmm. typically in outside muscles, when we're doing soft tissue work and massage and releases, I tell people to stop me at a five. Right. And so that's the level that's kind of below the level that your brain would say, alert, alert, you know, this is stressful and it's going to fight against it. So that's at a five inside, we, we stop at a three. And so that allows the person to feel in control because I don't know what they're experiencing. I may feel like I'm not putting my finger in that much. I may not feel any pressure against my finger, but it doesn't matter. It's their experience that matters. And are so you they, working they, muscles? Are you yeah. like feeling for organs? What's happening? Correct. Yeah. So it's not a medical pelvic exam. It's a pelvic floor muscle exam. Okay. So we, we look at the outside first without even touching. And we can, we run through a little screening to say, okay, are you contracting? Are you relaxing? Are you, you know, we kind of just check things, even just looking externally at the perineum. And then we do the internal and, um, and that, you know, we're actually feeling for muscles. I'm feeling for tightness and tension and the patient is telling me what they experience. So they're, they're feeling for, is this tender? Does this, you know, cause pain or does it feel like I have to poop or does it make me feel like I have to pee or whatever sensation comes up for them. Yeah. So it's just, it's really detailed, even more detailed than we tend to do on outside muscles, which is great. And then this and is then because also, you're treating in, incontinence, pain, general inflammation, uncomfortableness, what you treat people for. Yes. 
Absolutely. Okay. Incontinence can be pee or poop, right? Pain can be anywhere in your pelvis, low back. So um, a lot of times people can have low back pain, especially if it's not getting better mm. and it's just going on and going on and they're seeing an ortho PT, like, and they're like something is not, it's just not responding this time. That can be because you have a tight pelvic floor and your pelvic floor muscles are part of your trunk stabilizing muscles. So that can show up a lot. So you don't even necessarily have any bladder or bowel or sexual function issues, um, just back pain that isn't, isn't getting healed. That can be pelvic floor involvement. Wow. Um, yeah. And then prevention. So prevention for um, having a baby. Again, just even, and I have seen women who've come in and they say, okay, was one in particular recently, her mom had a surgery to lift her bladder. And so she just had in the back of her mind, oh, my mom had this, I'm pregnant, I'm about to have a baby. Let me see if there's anything I can be proactive, you know, for. And the, um, and she came in literally hiking, really athletic, zero pain, zero leaking, no outward signs that she had any pelvic floor dysfunction or anything that was amiss. And when we did her internal exam, we found that when I asked her to contract your pelvic floor muscles, nothing. She could not voluntarily contract them. No, they were doing it reflexively. They were doing it on its own because she wasn't leaking. But when she kind of with her brain said, okay, I'm trying to squeeze, nothing would happen. And then the opposite as well, when she was trying to relax, and to push and to bear down as if she was going to have the baby, mm -hmm. which is something that we really like to practice and make sure people understand what that means when the doctor says push, right? Um, yeah, because you get to the point and yeah. you're like, I don't know what you're saying. What does bear yeah. down mean? Why are why, why is this the first time I'm doing this? Right. I've heard that so many times. And it doesn't matter if you have an epidural or not, mm -hmm. you can still learn how to push and practice that during your pregnancy. So even if you're numb, your body just has muscle memory and your body knows what to do. And it's so powerful for, again, preventing pelvic floor dysfunction. So I, I, you know, gave her that information about her body. I said, Hey, this is supposed to happen. It's not happening. Let's do X, Y, Z. She went, worked on it for a month, came back one month later, all, all good to go went on to have wow. a great experience. Yeah. And I would never have predicted. So that is a thing. And actually I've worked with, I do work with many women that their goal is to be able to wear a tampon or to have a gynecological exam and have the speculum fit because it hasn't fit before or to consummate their marriage that they just, mm. they haven't been able to have sex with their husband or their partner and, um, or the relationship. Right. And it's, it's a huge quality of life. We just, we, we minimize things and we, there's so much shame that we don't even acknowledge that this is such an important part of our body that has such a profound impact on our, our quality of life and our overall well-being. So when you have, and this is when I think partly why I went into pelvic health, when you have a shoulder problem or, you know, say you had shoulder repair or shoulder surgery, or say you're having plantar fasciitis, it's painful. And when you're at work or when you're with your friends, you can tell them, oh gosh, you know, I'm sorry. If I'm a bear today, it's just because my back is really hurting and I just, or I have a headache. But when it comes to your pelvic floor, we don't feel open to share that with people. So not only do you have the pain and the stress of what you're dealing with, say it's you're fearful that you smell like urine, or you're fearful that you're going to have the shame and embarrassment of having an accident in public, right? That's going to limit your ability your willingness to go out into society if it's a really big issue for you. And, and especially with the pain, it helps when we can get support from people, when you can talk about it. And that's what, when I started practicing in public health, it's so fulfilling because 
you, you, my patients just can't share that or they don't share that. Sometimes even with their partner, their intimate, you know, close friends that they're having vulvar pain all the time or pain with sex or leaking or whatever it is, they, you know, you just, you don't, you can't share it and you don't get that support like you could with just an orthopedic issue. Right. With anything else, you could feel comfortable saying it. And that comes back to what we do in our own families. I have always shared, you know, had an open door bathroom policy, (laughs) which of course is like very annoying, but, you know, I have wanted the kids to see, you know, like, this is what blood looks like when it comes out or, you know, I'm getting my cycle. And so that means like, this might be tender or I might be in a bad mood or I'm feeling extra emotional or whatever it is, taking that stigma away from what we're experiencing. And it's just so funny, you know, my mom was in the doctor's office last week and she was having some discomfort. And so anyway, she had this follow-up appointment scheduled for today actually. And they called her and said, oh, the doctor has an emergency surgery. So we've rescheduled you for tomorrow. And so I said to her, cause I'm taking her to the appointment. I said, well, did you tell the office that you're in discomfort that you're having pain? And she was like, no, I didn't say anything. And I was like, why call them yeah. back. Now I have to be the parent, call them back and say, number one, I am still experiencing pain, discomfort. I want the doctor to know that. Number two, I understand the appointment had to get canceled, whatever. Should I still come in for a scan? What was he going to do during this appointment? And can I do that today? And then I'll come tomorrow for the follow-up, like call them back. So, she, so of course she did. Else? Yeah. yeah is there, so that's what happened. So she, I said, is there somebody else you can see? Like, let's go. Come on, stop. Yes. So, I, so of course, then she called me back and she's like, okay, they're put it, they put me with somebody else because I told them I'm still feeling this. And I was like, good. We're going to the appointment today. Someone is going to see you. This is ridiculous. But even the fact that she's been uncomfortable for many days, she has somebody on the phone and didn't say to them like, okay, I totally understand this happened. However, I still need to be seen because I am still feeling pain. Why was that a struggle to have you advocate for yourself? Right, right. And again, not to make it a man or woman thing, but I do wonder if that would have been the case with with an older gentleman versus you know mm. a woman. I just feel like a lot of times we ha- like through our society we ha- either have this collective message that's passed down that like I'm not worthy enough or I'm not worthy of feeling ease or I again, don't want to ruffle any feathers it's fine the doctor the doctor has <sighs> to cancel it's okay no no yeah. not okay no, not okay. You deserve right. to feel good. You deserve to advocate for yourself and, and get the help that you need. Again, we just, it's these messages where we're just conditioned to say, oh, no, no, it's okay. My needs can wait. I'm right. going to take care of everyone else. Like I'm going to make the food for everyone else and then I'll eat last or not at all. I'll just pick off the, the kid, the leftovers of the kids. Yes. Plate. I mean, I've had this conversation with so many patients. One of my patients still like um, 
comes to mind. She and and it was so funny. The only way I could get through to her was to say, "You're gonna, you're modeling this for your daughter." Yeah. She was. I was working with her for constipation. She was ignoring her body's needs to go to the bathroom, whether it was pee or poop, right? And so she was having a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction from this. And we're kind of working through things. And I said, "Okay, when do you?" She had the baby. She had the older child, the husband. I said, and as I'm talking with her, I'm like, "When do you get to sit down and eat?" She's like, "Oh, after everyone's done." I mean, she literally was like during dinner, she was sitting, feeding the baby, not even eating for herself at the same, at the same time. And I'm like, okay, you need to eat regularly to have regular bowel movements. You need to honor your body's urges. When you feel like you have to poop, you got to go poop. And if you don't do this, this is the negative. This is why we're having these repercussions in your physiology and why we're dealing with this right now. But you are, you have two daughters. You are literally modeling for them that your needs don't matter. Your body doesn't matter. You have to take care of yourself to show them that they are worthy of taking care of themselves. And that's the only person who is going to, to take care of yourself is you. You have to right. advocate for yourself. And again, obviously we have to advocate for our children until they know and they can do it themselves. And for our parents, you know, I mean- You have to advocate, yeah. Then you're in that generation where you're advocating for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, you go to the doctor and you go to the doctor and you go to the doctor. Well, well I think yeah. older generations too. Real, I think younger generations, it's almost like we believe in Dr. Google, and so we'll do a lot of things ourselves. Yes, and so uh-huh. we're a little more discerning. It's like, okay, you're telling me this, but I've read this and this online, so I'm gonna get another opinion. Where an older person may just say, okay, that's gospel. Yeah, they yeah, just defer the to the doctor. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. They, and yeah. I've had to do that with my doctor, who I my primary care, who I love and I have a wonderful relationship with. But when I go to see you, I want you to run these blood tests. And I know that you run these, but I want you to add these. And so I'm just going to ask you for it because it's not in your common practice to do this. Or you had me on this medication, but I've been reading about this other one that yes, it's more expensive because of course the insurance doesn't cover it because it's holistic or technically not a generic, you know, one, but I've read that people have had better results with this. And this is like an ongoing issue for me. So I want to do this. And so you just, yeah, but then they say, fine, what are they going to say? That's the other thing. What are we afraid of a physician or, or really anybody, somebody in retail, somebody at the car dealership, what are they going to say? They're going to say no. Okay. Then that's the start of the next conversation. Yes. Why are you saying no? Or, okay, I will go and find someone who will work with me where I'm an equal partner in that, in that responsibility for my care and that relationship. And I love what you said there because you are the expert of your body and I'm not Mm -hmm. advocating for Dr. Google, but I'm saying that we need to, um, be that equal partner in that healthcare relationship that you know your body best. The doctor has their experience. They have everything that they bring to the table, which is awesome. And they think it's really important to, to partner up with like-minded providers who you believe in and you work well together, but you also don't want to underestimate the fact that you are the expert of your body. Mm, and you but- bring so much vital information to the table to help you know work with them and, and just get the better outcomes for yourself, for your health. And okay, tell me this probably makes you crazy. When people go to the doctor and are not honest, like when they ask you how many days a week do you drink and you Mm -hmm. lie to the doctor, you are legitimately really potentially hurting yourself. You are really, you know, when the doctor, how many, how often do you go to the bathroom or this or that? Why? We're afraid to tell the doctor the truth. Like when you go to the dentist, how often do you floss? 
you can lie to the dentist, but they know that you're not flossing every day. Yeah. So like, do you, as you were, like when somebody, yeah. So I'm sure you can tell. And, but truthfully, when you get 15 minutes with the doctor and you're not being forthcoming with them, you're only hurting yourself, but like in a major way, because right. they are building all, the only information they have is what you tell them. And if you're right. not telling them the truth, like you're screwing yourself essentially. Right. And we do we that. Learn? We're embarrassed. Right. Yeah, I know. Well, I think that we've learned along the way that that makes us a bad person. We, we yeah. kind of equate that with our identity. And it's like, we need to, again, model that we adults make mistakes. Mom and dads make mistakes. Humans make mistakes. And so if we make the wrong choice, we didn't floss that day or, you know, whatever, we ate the wrong foods and we're a little backed up or our stool's a little loose. Like it doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. And no one is going to be perfect all the time. And so I think showing our flaws to our kids, showing our, just being um, authentic really with our friends, with our our close relationships, that can be hard. I mean, that's really, you're letting yourself out there. And some of that is because it wasn't modeled for us. And then it's hard for us to really accept when we make mistakes or, or, you know, show that to other people too. Mm. But you're exactly right. So so good i have loved everything about this conversation it's so empowering it's so freeing and it's the most basic things but we need to keep reminding ourselves because it's easy to fall back in those same patterns of i don't want to tell anybody i don't want to be a bother i'll just deal with this whatever it is tell everybody how they can find you in person and also online with the courses that you offer that we didn't even really get a chance to talk about and your podcast. Give me all the deets. Yes. So I work with people in person in our practice indicators called Renew Pelvic Health. Um, You can actually check it all out at renewpelvichealth.com. And we actually have online scheduling. So you don't have to wait. You can, it could be midnight and you can make your appointment when you think of it. (laughs) And um, we have a blog on there that has free content that that we love to to put out. I also have free content through Kumbaya Podcast, um, the whole woman's resource. So we have kumbayalpodcast.com is the website. But um, anywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to that. And I do single episodes there that are just on a, a lot more on pelvic health. And then I do great interviews, like your interview was fantastic. I, everyone loved it. And, um, and then finally, I really am passionate about getting this information to as many people as possible. So I created a course called Pelvic Health Essentials. And that is at progressivepelviceducation.com. And I am currently in the process of um, coming out with my second course, which is how, uh, how to prepare for a home birth. It's not a childbirth prep class in about positions and things. It's really all the things that I teach to my in-person clients and how to prepare your body, how to go into your labor and childbirth experience with, um, you know, a body that's feeling good, a mindset that's, you know, ready and, and really to, to prevent pelvic floor dysfunction afterwards. So. I love that. And I love that you have figured out a way to make something that is could potentially only be available on a one-on-one situation to a wider range of people. And that way partners can watch it and people all over the world can participate. And that's just really super smart. Yeah. I just wanted to contribute to, there's so much information online that you can get. It's like, I wanted to put out 
quality information from an, you know, a trusted person that knows what they're talking about and has gotten the results in person. I just, I really wanna make sure people are getting good information when they, when they do go to Dr. Google, you know? Yes. Oh my so. gosh. I'm sure people probably come in with like, is this true? And I read this and doctors are like, oh my gosh, no. That seems too much, <laughs> yeah. Where it's like people are well, well meaning and the well have good intentions, but it's not correct all the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending this time with me, with us. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for all the good that you're putting out into the world and for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening to the Open to Alchemy podcast. You can find more about me on all the social places, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse at open.to.alchemy. That's open, the word T-O, alchemy, or at my website, opentoalchemy.com. See you next time.